You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. It was in the late 70s that Bob and Gene Helms felt called to start a new church in the greater Evansville area. And Brother Helms, Bob Helms, our founding pastor, started looking at holding services in a couple of places. They held an informational meeting at a bank building. They started looking to use Castle High School. They looked at the Newburgh Town Hall, were denied at Newburgh Town Hall, but subsequently asked again and were given permission. A new life, Free Will Baptist Church, started holding services in the Town Hall in Newburgh there in the late 70s. We have a picture of Bob and Jean there with the church sign and... I look back on those days, I think about the faith and commitment they must have had to start a new Free Will Baptist Church from scratch. To start with no building, start with no people, start a new church. I love that Brother Helms initially named the church New Life because it gives us an early indication of what the DNA of our church would be, what it is that we are about, the heartbeat of our church that we are about offering the new life of Christ to our community. In fact, several years ago when we started a a ministry targeting people who struggle with addiction, uh, the leaders of that group said we want our our ministry to be focused on our theme to be 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says that all things are, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And we named that recovery group New Life. We became Faith Free Will Baptist Church in 19... 80 when we merged with Faith Temple. And so started off in the 70s, this new life, and then became Faith Real Baptist Church when we merged with Faith Temple here in this location. But for 40 years, the story of our church as new life and as Faith Real Baptist, we have been about reaching people with the offer of new life, the new life that is available in Christ. I sat with Bob and Jean uh, this week wanted to pray with them before Gene had some important tests this week, and they said they hoped that they could be here today, but they just didn't think that it would be possible because of Gene's health. And I was asking about her appointments and tests, and then we got to talking about Anniversary Sunday, and I said, man, 36 years since that organizational service in 82. And I said, does it feel like it's been that long? And Gene said, well, there were times that it felt longer than 36 years. <laughs> and we got to reminiscing and I said, you know, think back on people that were there all that time ago and are now other places serving the Lord. Spoke of students that came through the school. Spoke of uh, Wes Bennett, who I just ran into recently, serving as a youth pastor in Evansville. Spoke of people who have gone to serve Free Will Baptist and start churches. And people whose lives have been changed and have gone out to lead others to the offer of new life. And it's a hard time right now for Bob and Jean. Gene's health has been very poor over the past year. In fact, we realized as we were sitting there visiting that the last time she was able to be in church was our 35th anniversary a year ago. But even though it's a hard time right now, in that moment we were talking about the lives that have been changed and people who had gone out from here and people who continue to serve here, it was a little bit of a, a joyous worship service and just thanking the Lord of what he's done. Because even in the hardest of times, even in the darkest of years, New life in Christ is something to celebrate. And that's exactly what we see in Acts 16. We see God's people celebrating in the hardest of times because God was changing lives. There was new life being found in Christ. 
So pick up with me in verse 13. We're going to read several verses, but it's so important for you to get the full story of what happens as Paul and Silas minister in the city of Philippi. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and abide there. And she constrained us, she compelled us, she insisted. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying or fortune-telling. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us unto the way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when our master saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them unto the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach us customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And isn't it upside down that these men can pull Paul and Silas into the marketplace and say, they're doing what's illegal, even though they were the slave masters? Seems like things were a little bit upside down in their culture, maybe kind of like they are today. Verse 22 says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they'd whipped them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the innermost part of the prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was with there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword, and he would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him in the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. I love this passage. I love this story. Over the past few years, I've alluded to it many times because I read this passage some time ago, and I just got this picture of Paul and Silas sitting there with their feet in the stocks. They've been beaten, they've been whipped, they're in jail, and they have a worship service there in the midst of that adversity. Scripture tells us that first at midnight they prayed, and I can imagine Paul and Silas praying and saying, God, thank you for what you're doing in Lydia's heart and life. Thank you for what you're doing in her house. Lord, thank you that she's allowed us to use her home as a church so that we can begin to train and raise up these people here in Philippi. 
They begin to pray, God, thank you for what you did in the life of that, that slave girl, that you cast those demons out, Lord, that you have, you've obviously gotten the attention of this whole town. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Lord, thank you for what you've done in us. And as they had been praying, they began to sing. And Paul looks at Silas and says, hey, let's sing a verse of Amazing Grace. And Silas says, after that, let's sing It Is Well. And there in the middle of that prison, in the darkest hour, darkest night, being beaten, they give the Lord praise. Because in the worst of moments, the new life that is available to us and all around us in Christ is worth celebrating. This has been a hard year for our church. It's been a hard year, a year of mourning, a year of sorrow. But the Lord's new life offer is something that we can celebrate every year, in the best of years and the worst of years, in the middle of the harvest and in the middle of the desert, we can give God praise. God was doing a powerful thing in the city of Philippi, and Paul and Silas were thankful for all that God was doing through them and around them and in spite of them. And while this has been a hard year for our church, there is so much for us to be thankful that God is doing in us, through us, and even in spite of us. Paul would write a letter to Philippi later on, and it's the only letter that he would write to the New Testament churches where he doesn't have some glaring rebuke to lay at the people's feet. Because the city of Philippi, the church that sprung up there, was one of the strongest. And there are many people that come to know Christ, and Luke just gives us the story of three. And Tim Keller has some really great stuff on the the background of these three, why he thinks that, that Luke gave us these three stories. And, and today, I could, I could tell you story after story of, of people that God has changed their life. He's done incredible things in them over the past couple of weeks, or over the past couple of months, or over the past many years. Luke has told us many stories, but he tells us these three. And I think there are three lessons for us to learn that I want to share with you very quickly. One, I want you to see that God changes lives of people from every background. Lydia was a seller of purple, and to you that might not sound that significant. Uh, a seller of purple might not mean a whole lot to you, but a seller of purple was someone who had great means and great wealth. Purple was the, the color of royalty. It was the color that was in vogue in that culture. If you had purple clothes, you were someone. And so Lydia is selling the, the material that is needed to make the most important, most fashionable, most expensive clothes. She's from Thyatira, and she has come to Philippi, which is this important city, and she started a business. She owns her own business, which would be hard to do in today's culture, but it would have been extremely hard for Lydia, a woman, to run and own her own business in that culture. If you were to equate Lydia with someone in our culture today, she'd be a woman who owned her own boutique fashion store down on the riverfront in Newburgh. She was a wealthy woman of means who lived in a couple of different places, who had a business and a home large enough to welcome the church to meet in her living room. But she's searching. Because when Paul and Silas go to the riverfront to find people who go there on a regular basis to pray, there she is looking for the Lord. And so Paul tells her about Jesus. And she believes. The next story we have is of someone who's on the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. Whereas Lydia is a person who has great means and could do what she wanted, go where she wanted, live where she wanted, Paul and Silas are followed around by this little slave girl who's possessed by a demon. 
Not only is she owned by someone who restricts her personal freedom, her physical freedom, she is possessed of a devil that gives her the ability to see into the future or to give people the impression that she knows something about their lives. And so she is physically enslaved and spiritually enslaved. If we were going to equate this slave girl with someone in our culture today, she would be a drug mule, someone who is addicted and runs heroin for her dealer so that she can afford the drugs that she needs. She's enslaved at two levels. And then thirdly, we have this jailer, jailer, the keeper of the jail in Philippi. And Keller points out that a government job like this one of keeping the jail most likely would have been given to a good, retired Roman soldier. Think of Russell Crowe's character in The Gladiator, someone who's been faithful to the cause of the Roman Empire. He's come to the end of his military career, and he's living now a quiet life, keeping the jail in the city of Philippi. If we were going to equate this guy with someone in our culture today, it'd be a man who served his time in the military. He's a veteran. He works at a factory. He fishes on the weekend with a six-pack next to him. And in Philippi, God reaches all three of these people. The woman of great means, the woman of no means and enslavement, and the man who lives a quiet life, does his work, is noble, is responsible, and God rescues all of them. One of the things that I love about our church is that the more that we attempt to minister to families, or the more that we attempt to minister to addicts, or the more that we attempt to, to, to minister to, to young couples, Whatever we do, we make the gospel more appealing to everyone. You see, when we, we have a heartbeat for children, we, we reach their grandparents and their parents. When we have a heart for addicts, we reach their uncles and their brothers and their sisters. And what happens here for this jailer is God uses the things that are happening all around Philippi to bring him to the gospel. The jailer was not the kind of guy who was going to show up at church on Sunday and listen to Paul and Silas preach. He'd have no use for that. That was his day to go fishing. That was his day away from the jail. He, he had been to war. He had seen things. He had no use for what Paul and Silas had to talk about. But when he sees all that God is doing in Paul and Silas's life, he sees the example that they set and the way that they live, even in the worst of circumstances, it's compelling to even him. I've had people tell me, yeah, we're, um, we're going to start a biker church. We're going to reach bikers like Carrie and Tammy and Bob, you know. We're going to start a white-collar church in the suburbs. We're going to start a diverse church in the inner city. I, I get that there are probably um, some advantages to targeting specific groups of people and your outreach and your ministry, but you know what I found? I found that wherever God planted a church, He planted a church that reached everybody. It reached every person. Biker or not, addict or not, rich or not, male, female, Greek, Jew, slave, free, all of them. That's what we see happening in Philippi. Secondly, I want you to see that God changes the lives of people through strategy and through coincidence. And I put quotes around coincidence because coincidence is the word that we use when we don't really know what God is up to. Paul and Silas start out by going down to the river because they know that's the place that people like to go and pray. So they know that at the river, at this time of day, there are people that are religious, that are seeking God, that they'll be able to find. And so they go there looking to speak to those people specifically. And God runs them into Lydia and to other people who come to know Christ. And work begins to happen, and they begin to hold services in her house. But then 
They're just walking to prayer one day, and this slave girl shows up. They're arrested, beaten, and thrown in prison, and that's where the jailer is. You see, wherever Paul and Silas went and whatever they were doing, the mission was always the same. Offer people new life in Christ. And so sometimes that looked like the strategy of going down to the river, and other times it looked like speaking to somebody on the street or just living out the life of Christ before a jailer with your beaten, broken body, but still singing praises to God. And there are people that we have reached strategically by going to the places that we know that they will be, going to the jail where we know that they will be to preach the gospel to them, but there are also people that have have just stumbled upon us. And God uses the strategic means and the coincidences. And we've got to be open to all of that. There's There's a super fascinating experiment that this engineer named Peter Skillen put together he, he, over several months, he had teams of four assemble a structure using 20 pieces of uncooked spaghetti, one yard of transparent tape, one yard of string, and one standard-sized marshmallow. And he went to places like the University of California, the University of Tokyo, Stanford. I mean, he went to places that were, I mean, had some of the best minds. He had people that had graduated with MBAs. But you'll never believe the group that consistently performed, outperformed all the others in building the tallest structure with the marshmallow on top. It was groups of kindergartners. Because the groups of college students and MBA graduates, they would sit down and they would talk about their strategy on how they were going to build this structure. And then once they had developed a plan, they would put the plan into motion. But whenever the kindergartners started, they just started. And they started saying, no, put it here, no, put it here. And they kind of figured it out as they went. And they regularly outperformed the MBAs who had already put together this idea of what it was going to look like and what would be the best use of their time. Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about rethinking church because if we have this preconceived notion of what it is and we have strayed away from what it is that God has called us to do, what he's called us to be about, we will fail. We must constantly come back to his design and structure for the church. The actions of the kindergartners often appeared disorganized on the surface, but their goal was clear. Build the tallest structure they could with the marshmallow on top. And if you look at the pack at the last 36 years of our church, there are some times that it looks very disorganized, because it is. There are times that we started off in one direction, and then we stopped, and we had to back up and punt, and we go in a different direction. But the goal and the mission has always been the same to offer new life in Christ. That has always been our goal. And the original core group that started New Life Free Will Baptist Church and merged here with Faith Temple Baptist, they worked towards that goal and built the church that we have today by coming to know Christ, growing closer to God, and serving Him faithful in ministry. And today we encourage everyone to do that, and we phrase it by follow Jesus, grow in a group, and serve on a team. That's something that we want everyone to do. And we do things slightly different today than we did 36 years ago. Okay, a lot different. But the goal and the mission has always been the same. And today is a day for us to make another change. It's time for us to make the switch to holding multiple services on a weekly basis. We are setting the last Sunday in January as our target date to start holding multiple services every Sunday. This past fall, Carrie and Tammy were out of town, and Derek had back surgery at the same time. And I believe Derek's words were, I know this is not the ideal time, 
but I've got to be out the next two weeks because of my back surgery. One of our fears in making the switch of going to two services every Sunday is having enough musicians so that we could be sustainable and not burn anybody out. But on those two Sundays, with Carrie and Tammy both out and Derek not here, we had the musicians that we were able to conduct worship services. God showed us in that moment that we did have the people that we needed. Also this past fall, we held two services on Friday. And that's something that we have done regularly. We've done it on Easter for four years. We've done it for multiple other services. We have had two services on days that we expect to have a big crowd so that we can accommodate everyone. And it's been preparing us and gearing us up. And we've been looking towards this day for quite some time. And every time that we've had two services up to this past friend day, the services have been pretty well even out. About half, maybe a little bit more in one service. About half, maybe a little bit less in the second service. But friend day of 2018, we had 77 people in the sanctuary during the first service, which is about 80% capacity, and only 48 people in the sanctuary during the second service, which is only about 50% capacity. And one of the fears that I've had is that if we go to two services too early, too soon, that when we have two services, one of them will be empty and it will feel bad. That it'll feel empty. That it'll be difficult to lead in worship. That it'll be difficult to preach. That it'll be difficult for us to be uh, in the Spirit. But when I stood up on that friend day morning and there were only 48 people in the sanctuary, it was only 50% capacity. You know what it felt like to me? It felt like 2008. It felt like the, the crowd that we had in 2008, and God worked among us then and through us then, and if he can do it in 2008, he can do it in 2019. So God has removed those two barriers over the past couple of months. At the same time, we find ourselves running out of parking, running out of seating here in the sanctuary. If you look at our attendance over the last couple of months, you see that it regularly goes up to over 80% capacity, then our numbers in the overflow spike, and then it goes back down. And we've been kind of yo-yoing here for a couple of months. Also at this time, we are running short on kids ministry volunteers. And the truth is, is there are several of you that I'd love to see you involved in ministry, but I don't want to ask you to serve on Sunday mornings because then the only time that you're in worship, you'll be removed. But if we hold two services on a regular basis, there are many of you that I think God can call you to serve during one service and worship during the other. And it'll open up new lanes for us in ministry. Some of you will be able to worship and then serve. Some of you have been able to, will be able to serve and then worship. And I don't know what all the details are going to look like. And there are a lot of logistics for us to figure out over the next 60 days. And this week, as I've been turning this over in my heart and mind, the thing that I've thought about regularly is, if they can start a new church 36 years ago, we can start a new service. They can have the faith and commitment to start out with nothing we can move forward. God has given us you, you who are here to be a part of this next chapter in our church, you who are the new core group that will lead us into this next phase. And that brings me to my third and final point from Acts 16. God used the changed lives of people to reach other people. When Lydia came to know the Lord, she said, use my house. When the demon-possessed girl's life changed, that led Paul and Silas to come to know the jailer. When the jailer's life changed, what we see happening next is his family's life changed. 
something I say on a regular basis when I'm preaching at the jail is I say, listen, I want you to listen close because I'm here for you, but also for your children that are out in the vestibule right now waiting to visit you because I know that if God changes your life, it will change their life. And what God has done in your life and offering you new life, he wants to offer to the next person. Several years ago, a group put together this challenge. It was 2009. They put together the DARPA Red Balloon Challenge. And there were going to be 10 red balloons distributed, released, across the entire continental U.S. And they said, whichever team can find the location of all 10 red balloons the fastest will win $40,000. And there were several teams that put together um, GPS, sophisticated satellite systems, teams that, that built AI that would look at different map coordinates. But the group from MIT, Media Labs, they found out about the challenge four days before the balloons would be launched. And they knew they didn't have time to, to build any of that. So what they did instead is they spent two days building a website that explained the challenge and then said, we will give $2,000 of the winnings to anyone who finds a balloon that's a part of our group. And we'll give anyone that invited that person $1,000. Anybody that invited that person $500. Anybody that invited that person $250. So if you'll sign up and you'll encourage your friends to sign up, we'll have people all over the country. DARPA figured that it was going to take over a week for anybody to find all 10 balloons. And the Media Lab team from MIT with 4,000 volunteers found all 10 balloons in eight hours. Why? Because everybody jumped in. And this is going to happen if we're going to double our capacity to reach people here in our community with the offer of new life in Christ, we need everyone to jump in with both feet. And so there are two steps that I want to encourage you to take. If you're brand new here and you've been attending services, I want you to take the first step of signing up for Faith Essentials that we'll be offering on November 11th, a week from today, and then again in December. And Faith Essentials is a course that Eric and I go over what it means to follow Jesus and grow in a group. And if you haven't done those things yet, that's where you've got to start. The last thing that we want you to do is to jump into serving if you haven't started following Jesus and you haven't started growing closer to the Lord. So that's the first step that everyone needs to take. If you've taken that step or you've been with us for a while and you're following Jesus and you're growing in a group, then I want to encourage you to take the second step, which is to sign up for Growth Track. Growth Track will be a week from tonight at 6 p.m. It'll be three classes that it's, in, it's designed to help everyone find their God-given purpose and how they fit into the mission of what God's doing here on there. You know what I believe? I believe that God has already sent us the people that we need to accomplish this mission, and he's already given you the gifts. Now, it, where I can sit, where I can stand, where I, where I get to be and talk to people and have conversations with them, I can see that God is putting something together. It is no accident that you are here. It is no accident you have come when you have come. There's significance and meaning in that. And just as God placed us here in this location when he did by bringing New Life and Faith Temple together, and he's used that over the last 36 years, I believe that there's a reason that God has brought you here to merge with us in this time so that we can reach this community. Where I sit, I can see what God's bringing together, but I also can see so many people 
who are lost and broken, and our community is in desperate need of a church that will say, no one is going to hell unless they go over our dead bodies. No one is going to eternity without knowing Christ unless they have to pass right through us first. We are going to do everything that we possibly can to make as much room to welcome as many friends and neighbors to come to know that there is new life in Christ. We're not going to allow anyone to go to hell who hasn't first had the opportunity to know that Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness and redemption and that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. That's our heartbeat. Some of you need to take that first step. Some of you need to take that second step. Some of you need to just start with following Christ. And you're here today and you know that he's calling you and you've heard us talk about his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us, and you need to experience forgiveness of your sin. Wherever it is that you're at, God knows and he's calling you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.